I'll tell you, when I was a house call provider, I once walked into a house and I was like, oh, here's a quarter of a million dollars worth of durable medical equipment. You know, there's like three bariatric, you know, beds and three bariatric uh, wheelchairs and electric wheelchairs. It was like a DME graveyard of sorts. Like you just couldn't believe all of this stuff. Welcome to the Mastering Medicare podcast, where we demystify healthcare and Medicare for senior serving professionals and providers with your co-hosts, Dr. Alex Moseni and Dr. Amy Schiffman. Visit MasteringMedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Dr. Alex Moseni, one of your co-hosts with Mastering Medicare. And uh, we're really excited about today's uh, interview with a good friend of ours, and I'm going to let Amy introduce him. Go ahead, Amy. Okay, so uh, welcome everybody back to our, I don't know, like 97th episode of Mastering Medicare. I'm just kidding. No, what is this, our like 15th 15th, episode? Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're really cruising now. So I'm Dr. Amy Schiffman, one of your co-hosts, and we are here today with one of my really good friends, Michael Hughes, who is a consultant He has his own consulting company called Mitchell Lowy, and he specializes in the intersection of aging technology and health. And I have worked with Mike on several projects over the years, and he's absolutely so brilliant as it comes to that intersection of aging, technology, and health, (laughs) and also private duty, also known as home care. And today we're going to be talking about something that we've talked about in prior podcasts, which has to do with private duty. And we're going to actually have our very first episode where we kind of dive a little bit into Medicare Advantage. Like, I'm almost embarrassed to say that we're going to talk about that today because we've like, have we have we outlived our welcome with original Medicare, Alex? Yes, I think so. It's oh, yeah, we have, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So I think that what we need to do is um, move forward and do a little bit of a quick review before we have Mike interject a thousand times and tell me I might be wrong. But we've been talking a lot about original Medicare, Part A, Part B, Part D. We always skipped over Part C. Part C is Medicare Advantage. And we haven't really talked a lot about it because it's really private health insurance that is offered by private insurance companies that basically buy the ability to manage Medicare patients. And that's kind of not original Medicare. It's like a one-stop shop for A, B, and D. The nice thing about Medicare Advantage, although it's not very popular here in the state of Maryland where we sit, is that it really offers uh, patients the some extra stuff that comes outside of the regular, the regular Medicare Part A, Part B, Part D package. Sometimes it's like Meals on Wheels and it addresses social determinants of health. And Mike, I'm going to like just hand the mic to you for a second to talk about what is coming down the pike in the Medicare Advantage world, which is possibly going to make everybody in Maryland want Medicare Advantage. So now I'm a little scared. I don't want to upsell okay. it, but yeah, I, I don't want to like make it like so cool that everyone wants it, but you know. Well, I mean, it, it, it is it, it is kind of interesting because, you know, I can't remember when they allowed MA plans to come into effect. I think it was sometime in the uh, early 2000s. I can't write that. I, I can't remember, but... Right now, you've probably got about a third of beneficiaries uh, receiving Medicare benefits through an MA plan. So I want you to think about MA as kind of a replacement for traditional Medicare plus other things. And then you all, then, then historically, people have had Medicare benefits, but they also choose to purchase a Medicare supplemental insurance plan. 
you know, AARP's got a really popular one, but that, that kind of covers the things that traditional Medicare doesn't as you become a beneficiary. So things like, you know, vision and dental and hearing aids and, and, and things like that. So Medicare Advantage kind of mashes together those, those two things. It, it basically says when you sign up for a Medicare Advantage um, plan, that provider, whether it's Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield or United Health or whatever, goes to Medicare and says, you know, I'm now taking care of Mike's healthcare needs. Mike kind of fits into this tranche of people that will cost you about X per year. I'm going to make it up. Let's say it's $25,000. And Medicare Advantage says, I'm going to take care of Mike for $24,000. And, and by the way, the government likes Medicare Advantage plans because they do a lot of the check writing work that the government wants to get out of, right? Medicare Advantage is also used by the government as kind of a Petri dish for new value-based programs and services because it's private industry and they think that that can happen faster, which it often does. So that's that's why uh, the government kind of likes Medicare Advantage. But they go there and they say, I can take care of Mike for $24,000 and that extra $1,000 I can use towards supplemental benefits. And these are kind of, if you're, if you're out there competing to sell MA plans to people, you know, you're going to dress it up with kind of different features and benefits and all that. So that allowance allows you to get into the supplemental benefit game. Now, a lot of that goes to things like the hearing aids, the dental coverage, and the vision care benefits. But in the last couple of years, uh, and this is all regulated by CMS, okay, they, they, they tell the Medicare Advantage plans exactly what those supplemental benefits can, can pay for and what they can't. But the exciting thing that's happening now is that the government is recognizing that the vast majority of your health outcomes are not dependent upon clinical care. They're the social determinants of health. They're your health behaviors. They're, the, your, they're your access to food, supports, services, uh, all, all the things that you know really determine health and wellness, but also safety. And I'm going to go into a little speech here about uh, who costs the, the, the system the most. Okay, So if you are a Medicare beneficiary and you've got three or more chronic conditions, right, you're probably going to cost the system about 50% more on, on average. There's also what we call functional limitations. These are things like trouble with walking and dressing and transferring and things like that. So if you've got three or more chronic conditions and a functional limitation, you're going to cost the system about 330% more on average. So this is about 5% of US patients, but they consume about a quarter of all healthcare spending. Why? Because they trip and they fall. And they go to the, the hospital, which is the most expensive site of care. So the government is recognizing this. And in the past few years, they've allowed Medicare Advantage players to kind of experiment with supplemental benefits that are what they call primarily health related, or I can't remember the new language, but can influence positive health outcomes. So these are things like home care services. These are things like pest control. These are things like nutrition and food delivery and, and things like that. And, and, it, and it's, it's gotten even looser in the, in, the, in, the, in the past few years. But we're seeing, I mean, there's, I can't remember the exact number of MA plans out there. I want to say it's like almost 3,000. But for this 2021 plan year, you're looking at about, uh, about 900 plans offering benefits of this type. There's also uh, another type of benefit called an SI, sorry, SSBCI benefit. SSBCI. Okay. What is that? Yeah. So that is the uh, Special Supplemental Benefits for the Chronically Ill, which is, which is uh, kind of a carve out for what they did back in 2018. But it's, it's basically people who qualify that are very, very sick people. 
So there's types of benefits you can offer under an SSBCI plan. Okay. I am not a regulatory expert. I just sound like one. <laughs> but but we're sort of seeing this explosion of benefit offerings in both places. So you're seeing plans. I'm just going to go to a, sort of another chart here because I want to be really techie. And so for the people that offered these types of benefits back in back in 2020, you, the majority of them were offering what they call in-home support services, adult day health services were popular, therapeutic massage. Sign me up for that one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but primarily, <laughs> so, so under the primarily health-related supplemental benefits in 2020, the most popular ones were things like therapeutic massage, in-home support services, support for caregivers. And then the other ones, you know, in the SSBCI, these are things like more like food and produce, pest control, you know, just these types of services to improve the home environment, quality of life, that sort of thing, because the government believes that they're going to have an impact. So we're a couple of years into this right now. And my experience with this, you know, through my, my, my past in the home care industry was working with a couple of these MA plans to kind of deliver these services to beneficiaries. And I think we're still trying to work things out. But I think the important thing to underline here is that the government realizes that social determinants impact health outcomes. I know that HHS is really trying to create an evidence base for social determinants of health, one that does not rely on a lot of random, you know, long, uh, randomly, you know, sort of proper. Uh, God, what is the acronym? Uh, Ran- but, RCT, the random, random. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank randomized you. Randomized controlled trials. And and uh, MA plans as private industry are kind of putting these out, putting these out there and really just experimenting. But there is kind of a weird chicken and egg game when it comes to standing up these types of benefits. There's a lot of things that could work, but and and this is going to come. But I think a lot of the MA plans are still kind of uh, working on a hope and a prayer that this stuff is going to actually have an impact. But I think for the larger plans, they they really do believe in it. I think for the mid-sized and smaller plans, they're still kind of waiting to see how the big plans do. But every year, you know, it it more and more plans get into this business. Mike, can I, I, first of all, amazing data, amazing information. I have a couple of just brief questions as I sort of like work backwards from what you were just talking about. Of the 900 plans that are going to be offering what sounds like some of these types of more jacked up services, particularly as it pertains to home care, which is private duty, which is currently not covered under original Medicare, which I always jokingly say, just get out your American Express card. Do you know how many hours they are thinking of offering? Like, is this something that if I'm I'm an adult child and my mom could switch to one of these plans, am I going to say out loud, huh, they're only going to give me four hours a week or they're going to give me 24 hours a week? Like, is there... Are there is there data out there as what they're going to offer? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So you have to you have to think about what the budget is for these uh, supplemental benefits, and you also want to have to think about what the motivations are for an MA plan. And an MA plan, I think, has two or three primary motivations. One is to increase the number of people that you have as your customers. The second, and then the second one is to manage those people at the lowest cost possible. And that means identifying and managing risk. So anything that they're doing, you know, they want to, they basically want to offer these benefits to someone, but in a way so they can get kind of the lower risk 
you know, younger or whatever people on their plan and they, they can have that benefit forward, or they want to manage risk within the, within the um, census that they're already managing. So on average, the budget for a supplement for supplemental benefits for sort of per person per month is about 100 to 110 bucks. And it varies by state. Okay. So wait, yeah. I'd like to repeat what you just said back to me. They are considering supplemental stuff, but for per beneficiary, only a hundred some bucks per month. 100, 100, I think it's 109, 110 is the average PMPM. So that's the, that's the budget where they have to kind of manage, you know, people's vision and dental and hearing and, and these supplemental wow. benefits. Now you, you can, you can mix the shells around. So, you know, but, but if you offer a supplemental benefit to myself as, as sort of a profiled patient, it has to go to every single one of every single patient that kind of looks like me. So if you're an MA plan and you've got kind of a, a, an older, sicker, higher risk patient population, then you'll spend budget to, to manage, you know, to, to, to those patients and you'll offer home care and you'll offer other benefits. But, you know, the home care is by that nature limited, right? The, like the, the literally home... like one hour a week. Well, the plan that I was, I mean, we were working on a, on a, on a program where they offered about 120, gosh, was it, about 120 hours of care per year. If you signed up for that, I think that, the, you know, you sign up for the a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sort of thought that that was kind of primarily uh, designed for somebody that may have a hospitalization or require home care support for the, about a month after the hospitalization. Because Okay. So it could all be like pushed into a single time. So basically if you offer, let's just say, did you say 120 hours for the year? Yeah. That's, that's one example. Yeah. Okay. So let's just round it down. Cause I do really like bad math. So like it's a hundred hours for the year at 25 bucks an hour. So they're giving... Twenty five hundred was it twenty five thousand dollars? What is that? How many zeros? Twenty five hundred. So they're offering twenty five hundred dollars over the course of a year for home care. Yep. Yeah, 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 hmm. yeah. So that that yeah, yeah. Again, that's an example. And that'll that'll kind of cover you for maybe twenty. You know, about thirty hours a week for a month or or something like that. And that's that's maybe what you need when you're out of the hospital and and because you know. Mom falls, I fall, I break my hip, I come out of the hospital, you know, most people coming out of the hospital, you know, have, require more support than when they first went in. You don't really know what that looks like. So having, and then the home health benefit is is pretty limited. So when you get discharged from a hospital, you, you know, you get written for a home health benefit where a nurse might come in and, 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 and kind of assess you. The skilled, the skilled and the side. Aid, and yeah. an aide may come in and make a meal and leave or do a bath and leave or whatever. But you're not having somebody actually consistently in the house for hour after hour, which is often what people need. And, and the studies show is most effective. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the highest risk person is an older person with a functional disability coming out of a hospital and going back to a location that either where they live alone or where uh, the caregiving help is insufficient. That person is going to come right back to the hospital, you know, so you, you need this coverage. You need this support. So the home care, when it's introduced, yeah, you, it's let's say it's about let's say you're on that plan about 20 or 30 hours a month, but you have to offer it to everybody. And you also have to have it uh, received by everybody. Uh, one of the issues that we have is that uh, if you're a MA plan and you've got people in a rural environment, you know, traditional home care providers aren't going to send somebody hours out in a car to someone's house to take care of those services because it's really expensive. You know, the, the, the MA plus, so the MA plans try to bid down the home care providers on their hourly rates 
And it's just not profitable, affordable for those home care providers to kind of service that. Yet the MA plan must service that person. So they're trying to work these things out. You know, if you want to offer these benefits to your beneficiaries, you have to have a network of providers at the ready to offer the, to, to, to be able to deliver those benefits that, you, that you've legally been contracted to provide. So home care is great. It absolutely is effective. It's never enough. I think that the, you know, I'm not sure, I can't, I'm not sure if we can go deep into plan benefit design, but one of the other challenges of, of something like that is that if you are a person that is receiving a benefit like that through an MA plan, you may say, well, the MA plan gives me 100 hours a year, but that's all I need. I don't want to pay out of pocket for any more. You know, the plan should pay for this, you know, when in fact it, it's, it's often, you know, at least today, to get enough that you need, you have to go into your own pocket to, 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 to get that. And that could be like $50,000 on average, really. So there's, there's a lot out there in terms of home care. It's very effective to have home care. It's, it's, it helps people stay in their own homes. It helps with risk reduction. I mean, the models that you, you and I uh, know about, Amy, and that we work with. Yep. But the MA plan has to kind of adopt best practices in assembling a network, managing it, delivering the benefit for efficacy and efficiency, and most importantly, in a way that it gets them to collect the data that not, so, not only shows is this effective because it is, but how effective is it? The ROI. I'll Absolutely. give you another example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, the ROI is key. Yeah, I'll give you care. another example. We've been yeah. talking a lot about home care, but what about in-home safety, right? Uh, the bathrooms are the most dangerous rooms in the house. So what about a benefit that comes in, puts a grab bar in for two, three, four hundred dollars flat, boom, done. And just the risk reduction potential about having somebody having a grab bar to grab onto. Do they offer uh, that? Have you seen good. that? Have you seen that as an offering? I think it would be a terrific offering. So we should call the head of Aetna right now and be like, hey, we got a great idea here. <laughs> yep, exactly. exactly. So Mike, it, it, if you are an MA patient and you think you have this benefit of home care, how does that actually get ordered and what's the approval process like? Does it need to be ordered by a physician? Yeah. So uh, yeah, typically that's 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 what happens. So if you want to be qualified for the benefit, at least in sort of the models that I've seen, is that a physician has, or the home health provider or the home care provider has to sign off and say that you can't perform X number of activities of daily living, and then that would qualify you to receive the the benefit. Uh, and typically, the you know the, the, the home care provider is contracted to provide the benefit. The home care provider does the billing with the MA plan and the consumer's kind of left out of it. But the consumer has to, the consumer and their doctor provider has to certify that they they actually need the in-home care help. So how, okay, so imagine I'm the physician and this is a relatively new thing, right? Because you, you don't, you can't order home care for original Medicare patients. So how do I, as a physician, know like what needs to be in my order? Do I just write it on a prescription pad and then... What is okay? So if I and when I order it, do I have to choose a specific home care provider, or is it a general thing? And then, like, what what are the actual mechanical steps of somebody ordering this for a patient? Well, what I've seen is you've got, I mean, the MA plan or the the, the insurer would have the uh, would have a claim form, and you and the uh, doctor or, or often the home health provider or home care provider would fill it out. And basically say that I ascertain that Mike, you know, you know, needs support for walking or transferring or whatever. And I think he's going to need, it's kind of like a plan, it's kind of like a plan of care. So they say that I think Mike's going to need this help for two months. 
And then the MA plan would have a network of providers, either through themselves or through a third-party benefits administrator. And these uh, providers would have, excuse me, would have contracted with the MA plan. Maybe they'll, they may maybe provide a discount on their rates or, or other types of service guarantees. And, you know, the beneficiary picks one of these providers and they send somebody out and, and then all the billing kind of happens absent of the you know, beneficiary getting involved. The beneficiary opens the door, the, the provider comes in, does the service and leaves. So does the doctor need to, I guess, know which MA plan the patient is on and then go to the MA plan's website to get this special form or? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, the, the beneficiary will put in a call or, or the doctor will put in a call and then and then it's just a yeah, signing off on a form. You know, Alex, this is actually really interesting because, again, it's not knowing what's on your menu, right? Like right, you are, yeah. It, this is like the eternal problem, even in original Medicare, where why isn't every patient who could possibly be receiving Medicare Part A skilled home health getting that? And then they could now oh my gosh, if you're on an MA plan, like how would the provider like know what's on your menu of possible services? Oh, someone right. to bring you meals on wheels, somebody to, you know, offer you this, that, or the next thing. And if it requires a doctor's order, it's almost like there's just no way like that the consumer and the doctor would all know what's within the the rights and of, of Especially, that particular patient. Uh, yeah. One of the things Mike said, like blew me away. I had no idea there were thousands of MA plans. I thought there might be hundreds, but thousands. Oh, yeah. obviously, throughout the country, though. Yeah. Throughout the yeah. country. Yeah, right. I mean, it's a lot. A lot of that, Alex, is, is you know, United Health may have a, a plan that's branded as you know this plan in Massachusetts, but it's branded right. as something else in Ohio. You know, I'm making it, but there are tons of, of of you know smaller entity. You know, health systems may have their own MA plans. Yeah. I know large retirement uh, living providers that have their own MA plans. Oh, yes. Sunrise, yeah. for one, I know, does have their own MA plan. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, as a side. We, we, yeah. we could start one if we wanted to. Yeah. yeah. I'm really excited for that after our debrief. Yeah. We'll so, you know, you, you go on these websites like ZocDoc where you, you need to like set, you want to set up an appointment with, you know, some service provider and ask you to like choose your insurance plan from the drop down. And even if you know it's like United Healthcare XYZ, you, there's like 50 versions of Correct. United Healthcare XYZ. It, th this is what like blows me away. So if you are a physician and you have this MA plan patient in your office and you're talking about like, yeah, I think you could benefit from this, how am I supposed to figure out as a physician as to like whether you have this as a benefit, how to do it? Like, I, I just well, feel like, and, and I have- there isn't right, like, can but, you imagine that this is your, this is your business idea is that you go, what is your insurance? And then you like, look at, there's like a website. You'd be like, oh, Bob Smith has like whatever, blah, 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 MA plan and be like, oh my God, look at all the SDH social determinative health things this person could get. Yeah, but this and is like, impossible, like, right? Because you have, <laughs> you have like eight minutes with that patient. Cause you got to document and do all this stuff and code and bill before you go to the next patient. How in eight minutes are you supposed to figure this out? I, well, remember, I, remember too, guys, is that you know the, the the patient has selected this particular MA plan. So the journey that might be, I mean, so the journey actually starts now, right? Open enrollment is oh, either right. happening or just now around open the corner, enrollment. right? Correct. Yeah. So I, so your MA plan that you're already on, let's say, sends you a brochure and says, "Hey, stay with us. Don't switch to the other guy because we've got all these amazing things that we can take care of for you." Or they're going to be they're going to use the experience of the previous kind of benefit to kind of target new people that don't have it yet, so they can do the risk reduction. 
All right, the, the one that I, I mean, Aetna has something called the Essential Extras Program. Uh, so you sign up for Aetna, the Essential Extras is the Supplemental Benefit Program, and then you can choose different types of things to be included in Essential Extra. One is home care, another one could be transport, I'm making this up, another one could be massage. So you pick those things. So the, the consumers going into their MA plan experience, knowing that they're picking the plan with these little supplemental benefits, they're used in advertising. Yeah, you know, especially the MA plan brokers, where you see—I don't know—I can't remember if it's one of the one of the, one of the uh, sort of football players from back in the day will say, "Hey, did you know Medicare Advantage can pay for home care services for you now?" You know, they did this two years yeah. ago when only ninety plans were offering this, and it was kind of hyped up. But but they're selling. That's why they that's why they do these supplemental benefit programs, these neat creative supplemental benefit programs, because they can sell in. Or they're learning how they can sell in right. to, to a bigger amount of people with these 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 cool sounding benefits. So are the MA plans, I'm really curious as to how they approach execution of this. Are they actually trying to get their members to use these benefits because they think that if I can get the patient to actually use the member to use the benefit, they are more likely to renew with me as opposed to jumping to a competitor. And if that is the case, then what I would be telling the member is here is the form you need for X, Y, and Z. Print this out and take this to your doctor's appointment, as opposed to expecting the doctor to figure correct. out. Correct, and there's no, correct. So are correct. they doing right. that or no? So, so, so let's 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 look back at, the, at sort of the three areas of their motivation. Right, getting more members, managing risk, reducing cost. I'd say that right now the experience has more to do the first thing, where they try to get more people into to get the services, and then as far as encouraging use of the services. Because remember, it costs them money. Yeah. <laughs> so well, so that's what I'm saying. I'm curious which they, they way got, exactly. So that you you want to they'll encourage use of the services for people that they believe meet the risk profile that they'll benefit from the service delivery. So let's say, you know, they may do something more proactive if you've been hospitalized and, and your hospitalization code suggests that your functional your functional ability is going to go downhill. Hey, do you remember do you have this benefit so they don't rehospitalize? Right. Right. That that's what they'll do. So they'll 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 have motivations to do these things. But to the process that you described before of I gotta fill out a form, I gotta put this in. There's there's parallel processes there with home health. When home health gets written, which may be outside of the world of you guys, but when home health gets written, you know, home health companies want business. So 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 they want to get written. This this a patient that goes home, they want to encourage discharge case managers to write them from home health, you know. And long-term care insurance plans. So, you know, it's way expensive right now. I'm actually working on some really cool next-gen insurance products that are paying for home care. We just went into consumer testing over the weekend, and I can plug it maybe if you guys give me a chance. But the idea sure. here is that long-term care insurance plan people bought back in the day so that if they do need nursing home care support that they have to pay out of pocket for, if they do need home care support, the insurance is going to cover it. But that insurance also involves, and that's why that's what's kind of that's kind of the standard. You need to submit something where the doctor says that you, you have trouble performing X out of six ADLs, two out of six, three out of six, one out of six, and that you submit a plan of care in order to get that benefit. And then the insurance company is going to be checking in. They're going to be checking in to make sure that the visits were actually being performed. They're, they're going to be checking the nose to see if somebody's actually improving in function so that if they no longer have two of six ADLs, which is one of six ADL, then they'll say, hey, we, we're going to cut off your benefits. 
And it'll be the same parallel thing within the MA plan world. Most MA plans are building off their Medicaid experience or long-term services and supports. A lot of the earlier people that were getting into this benefit were people that had a lot of experience doing long-term services and supports plans for people that were, you know, met income thresholds, dual eligibles, people that are very poor living in underserved communities and things like that. So they've already generally seen how offering more support for social determinants helps with people that really are very under-resourced. Yeah. But for people that are now getting into that middle area where the income might be a little bit higher and all that, they're trying to see, you know, how can in-home supports and systems and importantly, technology, which I'm really excited about, can really move the needle on risk for this kind of next tranche of people. You know? are, are home care providers going directly to physicians and saying, hey, there's a lot of MA plan patients in, in, you know, in your zip code, and many of them you know, have this benefit. So let us help you make it easy to order home care for them. Like, are, are they trying to make this? I'm just trying to figure out how, who is making this easy for the physician to know and to, to do, if anybody. Well, yeah, I, and, and I haven't yeah. seen that, Alex. Uh, well, I haven't seen the home care providers really be that. Pro- I know that the home care providers... Any, any smart provider is going to you know, establish a relationship with a, with a PCP or other person involved in someone's care because they're coordinating care. I mean, they're, they're offering. And the doctors have to be more incentivized, too, because more and more they're going to be judged on value versus quantity, and, and, right. and, and they're going to have to reach into the patient home. But I haven't seen anything where a home care provider will kind of try to encourage. Uh, I'm not even sure that's legal, quite frankly. Oh, interesting. Of yeah, that, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just haven't seen it. It doesn't mean it yeah. can't happen, but I sure. suspect you'd have to do a legal check before you execute a okay. program like that, like that in the home care space. Well, you know, what I think is interesting, I think I want to take one step back and talk a little bit about how MA plans are actually paid for the services that they provide. So, um, not so Medicare, the average healthy Medicare beneficiary costs Medicare, I'm going to say anywhere between ten dollars and $12,000 per year. Okay. Every single time you add more chronic conditions, that person would cost Medicare, you know, $20,000, $30,000. And there are some data that there's patients that are obviously costing, you know, a quarter of a million, half a million. But like, if you, you know, average the sickest sure. folks, I think there's somewhere between... I don't know, Mike, maybe you know this data between thirty and $50,000 per year. Yeah, I know the percentages, but... Yeah, I so know. I think the real dollars are, is about that. And there were some interesting studies that looked, you know, just historically at, you know, when you add different types of services to different types of Medicare beneficiaries, specifically the sickest 5%, you start, you know, if you add a house call doctor, private duty home health, home care, you know, Medicare skilled home health, every single time you add one of these services, you see that you know, that march downward into sort of, you know, uh, you know, less and less money, 20,000, you know, that, that becomes the goal. But we all know that a single hospitalization is about $18,000 a year. So, you know, if you get hospitalized once, there goes your first 20,000 bucks. Right. So yeah, and, the, that, and the average rehospitalization is about 12 to 14 grand. Correct. So it's, a, it's expensive to take care of the very sick patients. So, what I'm trying to sort of get at is the amount of risk that these Medicare Advantage plans are taking on the sickest patients is very high, right? Like they have to, there's a big uphill climb. Like if you're totally unmanaged under original Medicare, you are, 
you may be costing the system, let's just say $60,000 a year. And the MA plan is going to be like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. But the MA plan is going to get paid a certain amount of money based on how sick that person is, which is why they have to have these like annual evaluations where they add up all the, all of your chronic conditions and you get a score. And based on that score, if you do a really good job scoring that patient, they, they have nurse practitioners that go out and like, make sure that you've account. Oh, oh, you have toe fungus. Let's make sure we add that. And you know, like, Oh, look, you're like, have them think weird on your ear. Let's make sure we add that in there. Cause every little thing adds to the points that you can then go back to Medicare and say, Medicare, I'm taking care of Sally Smith. I did her points and now you're going to pay me, you know, $45,000 to take care of her. If I can undershoot that, I get to keep it. Right, so that's exactly. So they get to keep that money. And in addition, that Sally Smith, depending upon, you know, she chose that MA plan is now also paying, you know, 400 bucks a month too. So then add that small amount of money that she's paying every single month to have that Medicare Advantage plan. So let's just say that a Medicare Advantage plan is going to receive $45,000 from Medicare, and then she's going to pay in an additional, let's say, five grand. So they're getting $50,000 to take care of that very sick patient. It is up to them to figure out how to put all that together. So Alex, to your point, these MA plans have navigators that basically are concentrating, I think, to, I mean, I don't think it's so managed, and I'm sure that there's like outliers, but in my experience in practicing you know, house calls is that if we did have, you know, single case payer agreements, which I would sometimes arrange with different MA plans, is that there would be a, a social worker or at least a case manager or somebody that would actually be keeping very close, you know, a close eye on that patient mm -hmm. who would be saying, oh, you know, she gets this benefit and this benefit and this benefit. We need to maximize that. So I think what happens is they take the sickest of the patients and they do kind of highly manage them. So to your question, how would a doctor or a patient know, hey, listen, you have the home care benefit. It's because they have community health workers or social workers or whomever that are managing and and trying to match that person up with possible right. needs yeah, as but well. It, I'm, not, what, I'm not saying it would be obvious for the regular Joe Blow MA patient, but yes. But what's confusing here is that there are so many different MA plans. So, and I, I would assume that they have different benefits uh, at diff with different thresholds for those benefits. So if you're in a, if, if you're in a region where there's a lot of MA plan options as a physician, how do you know, like, how do you keep track? You can't, there's no way. Like, <laughs> oh, no, right, like, the, the, the patient right, like has a formulary. Party. You're yeah, the patient like a has formula. their card. You call up the, the you call up the number on the back of the card. You know those are the benefits. I mean, there's really to Amy's earlier point. There's really a Goldilocks thing that that MA plans desire with the combination of benefits. Right? They want to look at you. At you. They want to look at your risk level. They want to make the case that you fall into kind of a higher tranche. So they can get the higher reimbursements. They want to offer a portfolio of benefits that attracts kind of the right people into their plan that they may be able to graduate up or down or whatever, but there is what they call adverse selection bias or, or, or because if you <laughs> offer, if you offer a home care benefit, then they don't want old sick people suddenly saying, Oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to join this thing. Cause I'm going to take care of this benefit right away. Right. You know, so, so they're learning about the design of these benefits and what, what the different levers are and, 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 and how it's going to get into the mix. And I'll, I'll actually see you raise you on this because they just announced this year something called the VBID model for Medicare Advantage. So CMS has been offering value-based uh, 
programs to primary care, to health systems. They've got the primary care first program for, for primary care Medicare, Medicare docs. They've got the direct contracting model. They've got other types of value-based contracts the bigger health plans and, and, and practices have gotten involved in. But now they're extending that into Medicare Advantage. So Medicare Advantage can now get value-based payments from CMS if they keep the risk level and the, 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 whatever the measurements are. Usually it's hospitalization rates below a certain threshold and they can get bonused on that. So now they're looking at, at, at the efficacy. That's the big thing that's happening here. The, the chicken and the egg thing is the data, all right? Mm -hmm. We're only a few years into this, so we only have a couple. Of, I mean, I, I know that the MA plans that are doing things like home care benefits are seeing that folks that, that have the home care benefit, whatever, some sort of impact yeah. has been done. But then how much impact for ROI? Right. I mean, there's a lot of different technologies out there that cost a heck of a lot less than home care services that might give you the same ROI, but they have to yeah. go in and be tested. I think that a lot of the a lot of the forward-thinking MA plans will go into pilot with this stuff. I think that the data is good. I think CMS and HH, you know, HHS are supporting these types of investigations. So there's but navigating that whole world for an MA plan can be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Could we pause for a second and talk about from the patient's perspective, from the member's perspective, Amy, you and I have previously spoken about like the 20% copay or co-insurance for a regular Part B service. So when a member chooses an MA plan, so we did touch on the fact that there is still a monthly premium for them to pay. But what about copays and co-insurance? What are is I'm sure they have them. They're, nothing's free, right? Like, but is it like the same or is it is it up to oh, the no, MA plan? Oh no, it's going to be totally or? different. It's an insur It's a private insurance company. So well, think of well, what. Right, like it's an yeah, ABD med, med, plan, med, but like you're still. Yeah, traditional med sub plans are you know one of their features is uh, that we can, we handle your copays for you. So right. medical supplemental insurance, one of the one of their features is you know you, you know you have you have Medicare, but that's not enough. So the Medicare sub plans say we'll handle vision, dental, yeah. but we'll also cover but, your RX copays well, and other types of copays. So that get, that's kind of folded in. Right. So just, so just, about, to be, just to be careful here, let me, let me just make a correction. Yeah. In general, most Medicare Part B supplemental plans actually don't necessarily cover vision and dental. That's the, that is actually, I think, a little bit of a, I don't want to perpetuate that too much. There probably are some out there that do, but not most. Secondarily, I think that the key here is that once you are in a Medicare Advantage plan, you are literally in private insurance. So think of what a private insurance plan looks like. There's going to be limitations, and we may not call them copays, but there's uncovered services. Right. And my no, guess is there are some copays when you walk through that door. Twenty bucks. Yeah. They want to disincentivize utilization. Sure. Well, also the, the, there's there's I I like to see copays on things like home care services. So because if I'm a home care right. services provider, part of what an MA plan might say to me is that, look, this is a great gateway that as soon as the MA plan benefit is done, then you've got a chance to, uh, you know, retain this person under private pay for, because, you know, the, the MA, it's never enough, right. you know, 100 hours of home care a year, it's never enough. But the conversion rates that you typically see from a Medicare Advantage funded service to a private pay service is probably under 10%. When somebody, wow. when somebody, if somebody gets something for free, they don't value it. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So, right. copay, so, co, so co, one of the this is why copays exist because yeah they they do they are designed to make people think about when and how they're going to use these services because they have to pay a minority out of pocket for that. But if I'm a home care provider and I've got an MA plan saying you know I want to see a five percent reduction in your hourly rate, and I'm already working with a you know a ten percent net. And so you're basically cutting half my profit out if I if I if, if if I go with that. But if they say, well, look, you know, we can spice it up by saying this person has to pay five dollars an hour out of your pocket. Well, then, OK, yeah, now I can offer you a twenty dollar an hour service, including the case management and all the rest of it. And this person and then the five dollars is covered by the patient. And then we can kind of work and, and, and they've got skin in the game that way. And that's that's it's supplemental. It's, it's a supplemental benefit and supplemental means that, you know, it. it it may not entirely be covered, right? It's it's limited. It's it's like it's got limitations to it. It's got you know guardrails. You can't yeah, just I, get it all. And you know this too. I mean, insurance companies is they they throw everything at. I mean, you walk into the, the home of an elderly person, and you see sleep you know sleep apnea equipment sitting on the ground or or something still on the box, and it, oh my insurer my doctor sent me this. And I haven't even used it or anything like that. I mean, there's a lot of oh, frivolous the waste. stuff. There. Oh, the waste. I'll tell you, when I was a house call provider, I once walked into a house and I was like, oh, here's a quarter of a million dollars worth of durable medical equipment. <laughs> you know, there's like three bariatric, you know, beds and three bariatric uh, wheelchairs and electric wheelchairs. It was like a DME graveyard of sorts. Like you just couldn't believe all of this stuff. Because every five years you get more, you know, it's like the lifetime's over, get more. And then, so if you're disabled for 20 years, you're just, it's just tremendous amounts of wastage in some yeah. ways. Yeah. 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 No, I looked at her, you know, my, you know, my wife had her, had her, you know, had her fractured her ankle earlier this yeah. year. And, and, you know, the, the boot alone was 550 bucks. And all they did was sort of stick the boot on her and cut the cut the the Velcro, and that was kind of a service. And you know, it's, it's all it's all well designed. You know, we know we know this. I mean, this is not a you know, yeah. but but I think the important underlying thing is that yes, they're there. Yes, they have to be designed sensibly. They have to be designed in a way that kind of uh, balances the, the 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 risk, so the people that are receiving the services are actually getting it. Like I, I've heard of or experienced things where, for a home care benefit, people think it's a cleaning service. They get, the they get the doctor to sign off on it, but then the home care provider shows up and they're not doing support for ADLs. They're they're just basically tidying up the house because that's what Light the beneficiary Exactly. That's what the beneficiary yeah. thinks it is. And that's not part of terms of service. So what we started off with is that MA plans offer all these supplemental benefits that original Medicare does not provide. So I think it's important for us to also clarify you know, given that these extra services are provided under certain, you know, thresholds or requirements, what are the reasons, what are the reasons that a member should not choose an MA plan over original Medicare? Like, what are the downsides of an MA plan? It's a great, I mean, I'm going to let you, Mike, have at it. But as a provider, a former provider, I'm, I have all sorts of really great ideas as to why. But Mike, I'm going to let you have at it. Well, traditional Medicare is kind of a single source of truth, and and uh, Medicare <laughs> Advantage plans, you know, we can you know, continue to kind of perpetuate this, getting paid in forty different ways or, or or whatever. So does it does it you know contribute to whatever the you know the the, inefic the inefficiency in the healthcare system that's born out of employer based health plans basically just continues that along, you know. So 
but I mean, they're getting more and more popular because people like them and the government's encouraging this shift. I mean, the government, again, they want to get out of the check writing business. They don't like the bureaucracy of having to process claims and do all this and that and the other. I mean, if, if private industry can do that for them, great. So you're, that's why you're seeing, it's estimated that in four years, about half of beneficiaries will be on an MA plan. Right now, it's about a third. Right. So um, I'm going to add to this. So uh, on our website, after this is over, we are going to have a, uh, a great graph from the Kaiser Family Foundation that looks at MA participation rates by state and sort of national participation. And Alex, I'll send that over to you so we can put that up on the website. But I think that the important thing to understand is in a place like Maryland, okay, so I'm just going to go state by state. I actually was focusing on states with the letter M, <laughs> like <laughs> Maryland, Minnesota, you know, all those, you know, Massachusetts. We are the lowest M state slash we are the lowest state probably in the union in the United States that has uh, Medicare Advantage. Between 8 and 12% of Medicare beneficiaries in the state of Maryland participate in a Medicare Advantage plan. Because we are a Medicare, we are in a weird Medicare place. Our hospitals have all joined together to be part of a sort of an exceptional program in, in the country. We we are not incentivized to have MA plans in our state because the hospitals have come together to try to reduce costs in their own way and are actually controlling costs. Under a capitated model, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So there's there's that. But if you look at almost every other state, which is why it's always so hard when we start talking about policy and all this other kind of stuff, for me to always envision what it looks like in, you know, Minnesota and Massachusetts, where it's like 20 to 40 percent and sometimes up to 60 percent in some zip codes, is my guess, of people participating in Medicare Advantage. So it's everything's really different. But from a provider perspective in a place like Maryland, when you're like cruising along at, you know, you know, the gears are all moving and the oars are all in the water and you're sort of moving along and you're taking regular original Medicare. And then somebody comes along and it's like, boom, you, you run them through your little checker to see what kind of Medicare they have. And you're like, oh, you have blah, blah, Medicare Advantage plan. You go, you know, I'm really sorry, but we don't take your plan. Right. Like yeah. So I think that's what a lot of people don't realize, and it, and it, I didn't realize it either until we we talked about it a while it's ago. A canary which doc. Is, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, which yeah. is that the, the when if you have an MA plan as your your version of Medicare, your your options for your physicians might be significantly limited because for the physician to take your Humana MA plan or your you know, that physician needs to have filled out a 50 page application to enroll in credential in the Humana oh, right. plans and then in the Aetna plans. And a lot of doctors say, screw that because of multiple reasons. It might be burdensome. Maybe they've already done three or four other plans and that's all they're going to do. Maybe in their state, there aren't a lot of MA plans. So it's just not worth their time. It's not worth their so, time. But from a member's perspective, it, it, could limit the scope of providers that you could see who would be in network, right? Correct. And and as a real life example, I happen to just know this ecosystem very well. In the general area in which we are taping this podcast, the house call providers that are in this area will participate with in a limited way with some PPOs. But if you are in an MA plan, you have to end up with these things called single case agreements. And they'll say, okay, well, we'll okay you for 12 visits. And 
and, and the administrative burden of keeping track of such a thing when like Medicare is, you know, thank you, Medicare, you just send it off to a clearinghouse and two weeks later you get a check with these types of things, you know, oh my gosh, and this one's in this MA plan and that one's an MA plan. How many times can we see this one? And how many, if the administrative burden is almost too much to start, you know, diving into to accepting these plans because it's just too much it's just well, too too much so let so, me just so, so but just to say yeah. if you are somebody who is in the position where you may need a house call provider and you live in the area in which we are in you're out of luck there are not many slash i don't think any house call doctors nurse practitioners or pas that may take these medicare advantage programs there may be some but it's it's certainly limiting in okay, terms let, of the number the providers that you can let have me make sure I understand to. what you just said. You're saying because MA plans are essentially the same as other for-profit insurance plans, they are more motivated for creating roadblocks to care than the quote unquote general government, you know, regular original Medicare. So they do create those roadblocks then. So all they create all sorts of hoops for the yes. doctor to go yes. through. And and they're different. This MA plan has these hoops for this Correct. program. I'm, I'm, I'm Switzerland in this conversation, but yeah. guys, I don't know if any of this, you know, this, this, yeah. this is new for me. But I mean, it, the, the, the MA plans are contracted to provide Medicare services. You know, they can't color outside the lines in terms of, you know, the Medicare services that they provide. You know, that's their contract. They're legally obligated to cover someone's health care needs exactly the same as, as Medicare would have. Right. But they ha but sometimes what they do on the provider side is, yes, they're going to say, oh, sure, you know, here, this and that X, Y, Z Medicare Advantage plan, we do offer house calls. So they may, in fact, contract on by one Z, two Z basis with different, you know, providers that are out in the community. And the way that they do that is they like this is what would happen for me. I would get a call from a care manager at that Medicare Advantage program. They would say, hey, Dr. Schiffman, you know, look, we've got, you know, Mrs. Smith. And she lives here in Rockville. Can your practice take care of her? She just got out of the hospital. You know, she usually sees Dr. You know, somebody else, but she can't make it out of the house anymore. We would like to do a single case agreement with you for 12 visits. And, you know, we think it should be, you know, one time per week. They'll, they'll dictate how they kind of want you to sort of see that patient. And, and then you kind of have to be like, oh, hold on. 99.99% of the time I'm doing this task. And now for this one patient, I'm going to have to learn how to do it their way, bill it their way, keep track of it their way. So that one patient ends up sucking up a tremendous amount of, you know, mind and cognitive and administrative time of a practice when you do, you know, this thing 99.9% .9 of the time pretty darn well. So it becomes I, a real I'm, distraction. This is kind of crazy. So hold on. Are you saying that you were not enrolled in that MA plan and they reached out to you Correct. to provide care? Yes, because oh, they wow. they have to provide certain services. They know that they exist and they know that they'll pay for them, but they don't have them in network. So they'll like have some things they're like, okay, for this exceptional patient, we will find somebody to do this thing. And so oh, they would reach out to me. Yeah. So there's like, you know, like a panoply of different MA plans, like maybe like 10, maybe less. I think there's less in the state of Maryland. And in each one of them individually would at one point had at one point reached out to me to take care of their high utilizers, you know, but one at a time. So you never got a real flavor of it. And then you would try to figure out, wait, 
I'm not even joking. There was one point where I was like, I kept sending them CMS Medicare 1500 form to this person, to that person, to the next. No, I'm sorry. You did it wrong. No, you got oh, it. Just so right. So you, so you would never oh, get paid, but you would do all this work. And it was actually the most painful work because interestingly, they would have a care manager. So now not only are you seeing the patient, but now you're talking to the care manager. You're doing a thousand different things for this person. At the end, they're like, oh, sorry, we're going to make it so hard for you to get paid that you actually kind of just roll over and give up. Yeah, oh, okay, never mind. That was a giant waste of time and learning curve. Thanks so much. I'm never working with another MA plan again. I'm not saying that it's like that now, and I don't want to badmouth anybody, so I'm not going to use names, but like a lot of these, they're just, it's not coordinated on the revenue cycle management side. So once you don't get paid for what you, all that work that you've done, which you enjoy doing, right? Like you enjoy taking care of people when you're a doctor and you enjoy making sure that somebody's going to be safe and okay in their home. But you also are not, you're not looking at it like they are from an administrative side, which is like, oh boy, it's my 11th visit. I better do everything I can. Oh, and maybe it's time to renew my 12, you know, visit ticker, you know, it, 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 they, it, it's so hard to take care of people when you're, when there's one offs and that's just a reflection on good business practices in general, but like, yeah. So does anybody, do either of you know how much churn there is with, with members switching or, or opting out of an MA plan after being there for a year? Is it, is it high or low and how much is that on their radar? I don't have I, I don't have those numbers uh, off the top of my head, but that actually leads into another interesting area of risk for the MA plans, which is you're sending somebody into the home that's a representative of your MA plan. So let's say that you're an MA plan and you uh, have a home care benefit and you demand because there's, this is largely based on, on their experience with home health, but you demand that the provider give you a discount. And uh, a lot of people get kind of washed out that way. If I'm a home care provider and I'm getting paid next week with a credit card from my private pay clients, and I'm working with a set of caregivers that might be as rare as hen hen's teeth in my market, so I'm essentially selling all I can with, 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 my, with my benefit. Now you're saying that I got to take a 5% discount and wait 60 days to get paid. We'll fill in all your forms and blah, 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 and do this. So you may not get a lot of the higher quality providers coming on board with you. And now you've got a person coming into the home that may be substandard. And it's not that, you know, Joe's home care screwed up. It's that enter name MA plan screwed up. So that's part of this kind of risk where, you know, they want to retain their members. They want to get members in with these really cool sounding benefits. They want to make sure that the benefits are used by the people that need them the most, but they also want to make sure that the service delivery is one where they're not going to get, burned. I mean, we hear stories all the time about, about in-home care aids, not often, but rare, this is rare, but you know, anybody who's been around for a while will have a provider that steals from their clients, you know, wow. they're going to have that happen. So then you have this risk and risk mitigation, risk management. There's a lot of, but, but, you know, when you have a service provider come into the home and the MA plan said, you know, you have to choose from these service providers and that's some sub, sub quality, that's going to be a risk that they're going to switch to another plan. So there's there's the churn, I guess, of the vendors that are related to the MA plan, but then there's the churn of the patients. And I can speak to this, Alex. There um, is a certain percentage of people that are highly dissatisfied with being in an MA plan for some of the reasons that we've discussed. So, oh, what do you mean my provider doesn't take that MA plan? Like I signed up for it. It looked so pretty on the TV set or the daughter accidentally signs them up or they sign a piece of paper that accidentally signs them up. 
Medicare has a way for you outside of the, you know, October to December time to get out of a Medicare Advantage plan. You can oh, always really? opt out. Yeah, you can go from MA back to original Medicare at any time. Interesting. And I'm sure there's some hidden 20-page form to do that that would take you I believe, three hours I've, to find. I, I have no idea. I believe I would call 1-800-MEDICARE. <laughs> Is that a real number? You guys are, you guys are really cynical about these forms. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Alex and I have actually talked about this ad nauseum, which is actually the six... The number one, I have decided the number one way to success in business is the willingness to fill out forms. If yeah. you are willing to fill out forms, you will succeed. People are so <laughs> turned off by forms. Like if you want to disincentivize any activity, just make it their form. Just put yeah. a form in front of it and you will literally see participation go from 100% <laughs> to like 3%. You're like, oh no, that's a very ugly, very <laughs> unpleasant form. <laughs> and form phobia. Password like protective forms. form. Encrypt the form, make it so that you don't know whom to send the form to. Oh, right. Force oh, it to yeah. Be done it can only fax. be filled in on certain versions of Adobe. And like, if you do it on a Mac, it actually erases all the content as it gets sent. Like, it's just, yeah. you can't even imagine what's in yeah. my coffee. I swear it's just too much. So, yeah, no, I, it's 1 800 Medicare. I think then, then you like click on this one thing and there's a whole, we can maybe direct people if they would like to leave their MA plan. We'll, we'll put that link on the website too. So one of my good friends, Reza Alavi, who knows everything about value-based care and who will have on the podcast soon, he told me something about MA plans that I had no idea about. He said that, yes, many MA plans, you know, they get paid for patients in different tranches. So they're basically taking risk on those patients, right? But many of some of them actually then delegate the risk to certain medical groups. So they take mm. their you know, thousand members and actually contract with a large medical group and transfer the risk to these medical groups. So like, there are medical like, groups. Oh, it's like PCMH out. model, medical yeah. home models. Yeah. yeah. But those medical groups are taking maybe 80 to 90% of, of the revenue and the risk. I'm getting okay. some feedback here on the audio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I did not know I that, did not know that. that. either of you has any experience um, with delegated risk. I mean, I think the PCMH model that one of the local groups in our area has a very, they basically, it's a, it's a medical home model, which says if you're going to take our insurance, we don't just give you, it's no longer fee for service. They no longer have a fee for service model, even though they sound like they're fee for service. If you are a participating provider, it sounds like you're about to be a fee-for-service provider, but in fact, you have to like fit into this medical home model, which is a completely you know similar idea, which is you're taking a certain percentage of risk so look, for so that at, patient. Yeah. So, so the, the, yeah, it's, even it's about, even though it's not an MA plan, or even yeah. it's just private. Yeah, go ahead. It's, Mike, all, it's all about risk management because you know the MA plan can't put their hands on the patient. They have to incentivize the people to put their hands on the patient to do a good job. You know, I mean, a good example of this is if you're under traditional Medicare and you were a home health provider, back in the day, you could you could make a whole bunch of money on 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 Medicare just by like re-upping somebody's service and kind of doing this and doing that. And then Medicare got wise to it and now it makes you know all the home health care providers, you know, reauthorize the plan of care every 30 days and do electronic visit verification. That's an important one. They were charging for visits that never got into the house. So that was more of a that's more of a of a sort of a cost management thing. But yeah, for for MA plans, sure they're going to try to incentivize the doctors to take on risk, 
the doctors think they'll probably will get rewarded for the quality of care. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think the reason that we are having this really interesting discussion is because we we do recognize that in Medicare Advantage, the risk of taking on a very sick patient can be mitigated through identifying certain social determinants of health. And the area in which you are an expert is this home care as it and and technology in the home and all of that all is a risk all are risk mitigators. And imagine if you could just avoid a single hospitalization or rehospitalization, the effect, the financial effect that that company would feel is is very, very significant. So I really look forward to seeing how this is going to play out because based on the fact that 38% of people think that original Medicare pays for home care, this is only just going to confuse people, but that's fine. So MA plans are going to say, yeah, we pay for home care, but okay, yeah, it's not real. It's not like significant and for the rest of their lives and it's just very limited so I, I will be so interested to see over time what the roi is on these sort of time limited little aliquots of time will be on what people are going to see in terms of uh, reduced rehospitalizations and importantly you know what sort of benefits or assets or I, I think the tech we haven't had time to talk about technology a bit, but I think that the technology solutions are incredibly promising because comparatively for the ROI that you see, the risk reduction ROI, sending somebody into the home to do something one time, to do something over and over again, you know, so one time to install something and maybe do a home safety check and risk rate reduction or blah, 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 blah and then have ongoing monitoring versus having a physical person come into the home, what's the relative risk reduction for those two models against cost? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for our next podcast when, when you come back and talk about the concept of social determinants of health and micro-social determinants of health. Oh I'm my God, really gonna, I, yeah, you know I love to talk. So I know, I'm so excited for that. Yeah. So I think we're, Alex, you wanna do like an Alex summary? Can you do an Alex summary? Yeah, sure. Okay, so to recap some basic concepts here. So when you, as a member who is about to choose what sort of Medicare plan you want to you know, choose, you can either choose original Medicare or you can choose a MA plan, which is going to kind of be a combination of the different pieces of, of Medicare. So it's basically a private version of uh, original Medicare administered by a private insurance company like Humana or Aetna, and they're getting a certain amount of money to provide at least the kind of the, the, the minimum Medicare benefits. And then they add on all sorts of kind of sprinkles on it to attract you. But then as we learned today, actually getting those sprinkles of extra benefits, those supplemental benefits can be somewhat challenging. It can be a little bit challenging to figure out what you qualify for. It, it might be more attractive than what you might actually get. It's not necessarily easy for the doctors to know what you qualify for and for them to order it. And uh, But but to, to some degree, the MA plan is incentivized to actually provide these extra supplemental benefits because uh, one, they hope there's a real ROI on it when it's administered, when it's given to the right members, right, who actually would benefit from it. And they are very much incentivized to reduce churn and, and keep you on the plan because they get essentially a, a monthly payment from the government uh, to provide this to you. And, and they are in the business of having more members. So I, I think 
when done well, an MA plan can be a really great option. If I were a member trying to choose one, I think one of the first things I would do is to ask myself, do I have a primary care doctor to whom I'm wedded and I really want to stick with? And if I do, let me first make sure that they accept my MA plan before I even think about swapping out. And let me find out if they're, if MA plans are very prominent in my state, because if they're not, then I would be significantly reducing my care options in my state. But in some states, it might be that many doctors take almost every MA plan and it, it's not a detriment to getting care at all. So anyways, that's... <laughs> yeah, you did also, so Alex, good! Alex, yeah. Oh my God, I'm so proud. <laughs> you know, and, and Medicare Medicare plans are held to quality standards. They're held to star mm. quality rating standards. So you can you can go on the, the web and, and review your MA plan's quality rating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great idea. Mike. Well, I want to thank you, Mike, yeah. for, for teaching us so much. And this was a really great discussion. And I, I'm absolutely certain we're going to have you on again to go into 100%. deep dive on the social determinants of health, which is another fantastic topic. Yeah, we'd wow. love to. So, yeah, this was great. Thank you guys so much. All right. Have a good day, everybody. All right. Thank Don't you. forget www masteringmedicare.net and we will put all of our new fun data pieces up on the web. Thanks so much. You have been listening to the Mastering Medicare podcast. Visit masteringmedicare.net for show notes, additional episodes, and valuable resources. 